Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. If you're brand new, I'm Tyler. This is our second week of three services. Last week I preached 47 minutes and I had about five to seven minutes of leeway in between so I can preach another five minutes is what I'm saying. We're going 52 today instead of 47. I'm, ki- I'm kidding. I'm ki- other, other, the other service laughed. I just saw fear in your eyes. <laughs> oh, no, please, no, no. Uh, no, it's, just, it's, it's about a 40-minute message. Uh, I'm excited about it. Uh, real quick, too, um, I'm going to get in a nice little sweet spot here. Uh, March 25th through the 27th, save the date, save the date online. Marriage retreat is coming. We're going to Monterey. Monterey, come on now. We, we're not one of those churches. We're going to go up in a cabin. We go in high class, stay in a hotel, going to eat at a nice restaurant. You know, if you're going to go to marriage retreat, let's have it be nice. So uh, if you're intrigued by that, uh, save the date, March 25th through the 27th. Most of our staff is going. I'm excited about that. Uh, really, really excited about that. Um, but enough about uh, my intro. Uh, we got to get to the message. We got to get to this thing. It, it is um, uh, going to be a fun one, uh, but it's a lot of content. I got to uh, just have you buckle up. Are we getting a little ringing? Are we getting a little ringy? I got a little ring? Yeah, a little ring? Thank you. I'm kind of ADD, so there's a ring on my Frisbee. I don't know. I, uh, um, uh, last week, I started this new series called This Is Our God. We're going through the whole book of the Bible. Uh, so now we're in Exodus. One book down, 65 to go. Come on now. Woo! Well, we got 65 more books written by over 40 authors. It's a beautiful book. This thing is the Bible right here. It is not a book of principles. It is a book about Jesus. I'm going to prove it to you that every book in this Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, points to Jesus. I want to read you a verse in Matthew 12, 38, just to kind of share the, the heart of this series. It says this. One day, some teachers of religious law and Pharisees came to Jesus and said, Teacher, we want uh, you to show us a miraculous sign to prove your authority. But Jesus replied, only an evil, adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign. But the only sign I would give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of a great fish for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. The people of Nineveh will stand up against this generation on Judgment Day and condemn it, for they repented of their sins at the preaching of Jonah. Now someone greater than Jonah is here, but you refuse to repent. Jesus says, I'm the greater Jonah. The Old Testament, you'll see these uh, guys called prophets. Uh, you'll see Deborah. You'll see all these people in the Old Testament, and they're prophets. And Jesus is the great prophet. And Jesus is saying, I'm the, I'm the better Jonah. I'm the greater Jonah. Now, why, why is that such a big statement, what Jesus is saying in that moment? And this is why I want to show you what the Old Testament shows over and over again, our need for Jesus, but also Jesus delivering. So the story of Jonah uh, Jonah is, uh, Jonah is uh, ran from God. He's been rebellious. A storm comes. A bunch of people on the ship. And Jonah goes, hey, you need to throw me into this storm. Are y'all going to die? And so they throw Jonah in the storm, and then the storm stops, and everybody lives. And he goes in the belly of uh, a fish for three days. And Jesus says, I'm the greater Jonah. That just stopped one little storm. What's going to happen here is I'm the greater Jonah. I'm going to throw myself into the storm of all storms, a.k.a. hell, so you can actually have heaven. I'm going to get thrown in for three days and for three nights, and when I come out, you're all going to get saved. He said, I'm the greater Jonah. Well, today we get to learn from Moses, and Jesus is the greater Moses. Moses was fully man and really close to God and then mediated the arguments. Well, Jesus is fully man, not really close. He's fully God, and he mediated the ultimate argument of death, and he saved your life. So it's an amazing picture of the story of Exodus. Now, the, the Exodus, the book of Exodus, uh, if you're going to look for a, a picture of salvation. Now, salvation's interesting. Salvation in the Bay Area to most people is opaque. And to a lot, it's actually offensive. 
Saved from what? I need to be saved. We'll touch on that in a second. So we're going to talk about salvation. The book of Exodus, you look at it throughout scripture over dozens and dozens of time, you'll see the Holy Spirit use uh, pen to paper referring back to salvation as the crossing over the Red Sea. I want to show you some verses even to prove it to you. I want to show you how rich the Bible is and how it just connects throughout all 66 books, all 40 authors, connecting the one thing that Jesus had us cross over from death to life. Can I get an amen? Amen. So I want to know that 10 a.m. is awake. Um, in, the, in the chats, give me some fire emojis. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I'm getting used to the online thing still again. Um, John 5, 24. Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Everybody say crossed over. Why is that such a big deal? Isaiah 51.10. Was it not you who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep, who made a road in the depths of the sea so that the redeemed might cross over? Over and over again. Every other religion is build a bridge to get over. Jesus says, you don't have to build a bridge. I'm going to split the Red Sea and get you across. No bridges here. My name is Jesus. Okay? It's an amazing picture. So uh, Luke 9, when Jesus is at the transfiguration, the transfiguration is this amazing, like, what does that even mean? Like, like uh, Moses and Elijah come down from heaven. It's preparing him for his death. Do you, you, if you're a Christian long enough, you'll play this game. If you could go back in time and witness one event in the Old Testament, what would it be? And some people are like, oh, I'd want to see David slay Goliath, you know, or, oh, I'd want to see Jesus on the cross or the empty grave, you know, um, or I'd want to see Jesus go back up to heaven, Acts 2, or, oh, I'd want to see creation, creation, like literally like chaos, and Lord go, light, darkness, separate, what would that look like, right? Well, one of the ones at my top is the transfiguration. And I'm trying to make, what does that look like? Moses, Elijah coming down, like, oh, you know, Peter and a, a couple other guys are like, what is happening, you know? Uh, and so transfiguration happening. And the conversation in this is they're, they're preparing and talking about Jesus' death. But the Greek word they use, and even Luke 9, a lot of translations use the word, it's actually not death, it's exodus. It's, hey, you're getting prepared for the ultimate exodus. That you are splitting the ultimate Red Sea that you are the most of all Moseses and you are going to create this new avenue for people to get saved that they never had before. You are the Moseses. You are the greater Moses. Uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 10, Paul literally goes back to the baptism of the Red Sea and refers to salvation as the Red Sea. Uh, Matthew 11 and so on and so forth. Hosea, I could go on and on. I think I have taken my case study and presented to you that Exodus is not just one book in the Bible. It is scattered through all 66. Can I get an amen for that? So what's the heart of Exodus? Like what's God trying to do in the, uh, in the book of Exodus? And I, I got this quote here. I think it's going to be up here on the screen for you. If I were going to summarize the book of Exodus, it's the people of Israel grumbling and complaining about the God they want. And God in his patient, loving commitment, showing them the God they need. There's a difference. A lot of us have a God we want. God, just bend to my will. I don't want to bend to your will. God, just zap me and fix me. I don't want you to make me. God, I, I, want you to say what, uh, I want you to give me a yes. I don't want to give you a yes. But the reality is, is that the God that you need is way better than the God you want. The, 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 God, the lowercase gods in Egypt were, if I could just give you a definition of salvation even, and I'm going to be hopping back and forth. Can I hop back and forth a little bit? A lot of content today. Uh, salvation is the liberation from the things that would enslave you and destroy you. That's what salvation is. It's freedom. Freedom from the things that were literally dominating your life and going to destroy your life. That's what Jesus wants to save you from. And so we're going to look at the book of Exodus and we're going to see the God I need. Save us from the things we think we want. Can I just submit this to you? Sin makes you an addict. Read, read, read the Old Testament and see how people cry out for their sin. It's like somebody who is pulled out of addiction 
And they want to go back to the addiction that will kill them because they don't want to go through the pain and the process of being free from that addiction. And this is what God is doing. He's saying, hey, sin will destroy you. It's made you an addict. Also, sin just makes you stupid. That's just for free. But, um, <laughs> but I'm going to take you and make you less, less silly, and I'm going to get you sanctified. Now, one last thing before I go on. There's a lot of teaching because I'm teaching a whole book of Exodus today, uh, in a sense. Is, uh, if you ever study systematic theology or if you ever read about systematic theology, you'll hear a big theme about justification, sanctification, and glorification. And the book of Exodus is all three, and it's perfectly systematic. You'll see it. So what is justification? It is your salvation moment. You are freed from the penalty of sin. Boom. Sin, you lost your sin. You are fired. Oh, I'm free. Now you're into sanctification. If you said yes to Jesus, you have been justified. Now you're in sanctification. Sanctification is you are being freed of the power of sin. Paul shows us in Romans 6 and Romans 8 that you can take people out of slavery, but you got the slavery out of the people. You can take people out of Egypt, but you got to get the Egypt out of people. You can take them out of the bad culture, but the culture's still in them. And so there's this picture over and over again of Jesus showing us that he needs to sanctify us, and you'll see that through the desert. God will use the desert to sanctify you. Nobody likes the desert, Ooh, but it can become your best friend if you let it. Let the desert develop you. And the last but not least is glorification. You are freed from the presence of sin. This is literally no more sin in your life. You are what God intended you to be. It is the perfection of a believer. Anybody, Mark Barcelona in the room? Where's Mark and Mark at? I was waving to you. I can't see anyways. I know you're, hey, Mark, there's Mark. When I was thinking about glorification, I thought about you, Mark. I thought, Mark smiles like Jesus, laughs like Jesus, loves like this guy. He walks in and you're like, whoo, this is a little bit more Jesus came in the room because Mark came in the room. What, what, what glorification is, is you start to look less like your worldly self and more like your heavenly self. It's an amazing promise. And the book of Exodus lays out how you get there. And the one who gets you there, the one who's committed you getting there, the one that actually that literally says, I, I can make this happen for your life. There's a lot of Christians in this room that you haven't moved on from justification. Today, you're going to move on from justification. God wants to free you from the power of sin, and he wants to make you look like him. Will you bow your heads? God, I thank you for what you're doing. I thank you for the gift that it is to preach your word. Thank you that your word uh, does not return void, that when it is read, whoo, it does something. It does something in the atmosphere. Lord, he says, not return void. So, Lord, I pray my words will fall to the floor and you will soar. God, I pray for the online people right now. I pray against distraction. I pray against double screening. That's from the enemy. That is from the devil. Lord, I, I, I mind it right now. If you're watching, I'm being dead serious. Lord, I pray right now that they would hear your words. Oh, that there would be something happening, Lord, in homes, in cars, wherever people are at, Lord, that your word would transform. Oh, Lord, we give you this moment. We give you this moment. Everybody said? Give me 35 minutes of focused attention and it's going to change your life. Give me 35 minutes of just, I want the seed of the word and watch what happens. You can, I, I need you to have that. First thing, that, uh, the God I need. So Tom, my message is the God I need. The first thing you need from your God I need is, I need my God to save me. I need my God to save me. Like I said, the Bay Area, salvation is opaque at best and offensive at worst. First place I ever pastored was Tumwater, Washington. Tum, Tumwater. Population 10,000. Everybody had a cow or a horse, basically. I had no cow or horse, and Carhartt was really popular. And I even hate on Carhartt. I like Carhartt. Now, I got me some Carhartt, and I own a truck. I'm a man, okay? I got my, I got my cowboy stuff, okay? I'm actually debating on getting a cowboy hat. Who's down? Yeah! All right, this week I'm getting a cowboy I'm that, I'm that easy to get talked in. I can get whipped up real quick. I'm getting a cowboy hat. Should I get a horse? All right, I'm getting a horse. It's getting weird, man. Should I get a ranch? Okay, keep going. So anyways... Um, so I'm in Tumwater, and it's a uh, um, very small town, 10,000, 
It's always fascinating to me. Every place I live has, has a different idol that's at the very top. And Tom Waters' idol was kids. Literally, the, the thing that was the most important in this town was the kids. Worship the kids, serve the kids, make sure the kids have a great life, make sure all their activities are at the top of the list. The kids' schedules dominated the whole city. They had a football program that went all the way up to the high school. Everybody knew their kids, and then once, you had, once your kid grew up, you grew up, you had kids in that town, you don't leave this town because this, this town's good for the kids. And so when I get there and I start a youth ministry with six kids, got breeze on it, does something special. I don't want to brag about the numbers, but it was a big youth group. <laughs> Salvation's everywhere. It was, amazing. it was an amazing thing. I was just a vessel. I'm not taking credit for it, but it was pretty cool. Uh, and what I did not expect when kids were getting saved is a kid would get saved, first one of their family gets saved, go home, tell their mom and dad, mom, dad, I got saved. And you think the parents are like, oh my gosh, my kid, they love the Lord, you know? And, and I'm, not, I'm teaching these kids, you'll honor your father and mother or you will die. All right, 10 commandments. You're welcome, parents. Like, I'm teaching how to honor you, you know? Hey, be respectful, be honoring, be loving. Like, I mean, I'm, I think the parents would be like, high five, Tyler. So they tell their parent, hey, I got saved. And the parent would be like, safe from what? Oh, you might not a good, safe from me, am I not a good parent? Safe from the life I gave you? Safe from the, the comfortability? Safe from me taking you from all the activities? What did you need to get saved from? And so they would say, I need to talk to this person that saved you from whatever you need to be saved from. So again, I'm a young pastor, early 20s. And so a parent would come up to me and I'm not even a man yet. I'm still a, like, I'm a kid, like in my 20s, basically. And so a parent would be like, uh, Mr. Johnson, can I speak to you? Oh, you got it, Mr. Gilbert. What's wrong? You know, they look kind of angry, like, I need to talk to you. I'm like, oh, what, what, what's wrong? My kid told me they're saved. You, th you think there's a problem with my kid? You, you, you see something with, I, I've raised a great kid. You think there's a problem with me? They need to be saved from me? What's your, hey, stay away from, my kid doesn't need to be saved from nothing. Stay away from my kid. And I'd like to tell you that when they said that to me, I said, hey, Mr. Gilbert, you need to know something. There is a creator, heaven and earth, Jesus Christ. You know, I, I didn't do any of that. I was like, you got it, Mr. Gilbert. I will talk to your kid. I'll kick him out of youth group. I'll send him straight to hell for you. You're welcome. Like, I didn't know what to do. So I literally remember, like, I remember like the first six months, like, what do I do? And the reality is, is what I want to answer you today is the question I was asked over and over again from a culture just like the Bay Area saying, what do I need to be safe from? I'm going to show you what I need to be safe from. There are things that are stealing from you because liberation is going to save you from the things that are enslaving you and destroying you. Lowercase gods, just like Pharaoh, that say this, serve me or die. And Jesus says, why does he want his people to get out in Exodus? Let my people go so they can worship me. There's something about a God who wants to get you out so he can get you in. That he wants to get you out of bondage so he can get you to freedom. Get you out of death so he can get you to life. Ooh, that's a good thing. Can I get an amen for that? Three things he wants to save you from. I only got through about two-thirds of my message last service. We'll see how much I get through this time. It is what it is. All right, um, I need my God to save me. I need my God to save me. Exodus 14, when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, what have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. It's a really cute way to say you lost your slaves. This is slavery. Like, oh, we lost their services. What were we thinking? What? Like, so uh, context, I never want to assume that you've, you've read all of Exodus. The, the first 14 chapters is uh, basically Genesis ends with about 70 people that are the people of Israel. And then, um, you know, hundreds of years goes by and now there's 2 million Israelites. Two million Israelites have now settled in Egypt. Be careful where you settle. Different message for a different day, but they settle in the wrong place. You settle in the wrong place, you're gonna get bondage. Anyways, so the two million people settle in Egypt and they cry and they plead to God, this is terrible, we're, we're being destroyed, our firstborns are being killed. And so God hears their cry and he's gonna deliver them. So the enemy 
uh, which is Pharaoh at this time, uh, uh, basically will not say yes to releasing them. So 10 plagues come on to Egypt. We're going to talk about that in a second too. 10 plagues comes on to Egypt and eventually Pharaoh says, okay, fine, you can leave. Just get him out of here. This is, this is bad for Egypt now. We want him to get out of here. So the enemy surrenders Israel for a second. For a second, he surrenders, if I can put it that way. And so he goes on to say, what have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost our services. So he had his chariots made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots. This is the greatest weapon in military combat at this time. It would be like taking 600 of the best tanks to go destroy Israel. Destroy them or have them come back. Can I just show you a real quick picture, justification? I'm saved, Woohoo! Do you think all the things that were destroying your life are just gonna be like, see you later? It was nice when I was your master. It was nice when I was enslaving you. It was nice when I was the most important thing. Have a great life. No, the picture shows that when you walk away from your enemy, your enemy will still pursue you to try to kill you. There's just something about when you walk away from your Egypt, when you walk away from your old life, your old life is going to try to pursue you and try to take the best weapons to knock at the door, crouch at the door, to try to take the things that you care about most. Now, if the story ended there, that's just really sad. But we're going to see we have a God who fights for us when the, the enemy comes down. Because now we are free from the penalty of it, and we have somebody who actually will fight for the power of it. Okay? There we go. So the chariots are coming. Uh, and let's pick up where the best chariots, along with all the other chariots of Egypt, with officers all over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites, who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all, um, the Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near Pi-Harath, opposite Baal-Zephon. So basically, they've been traveling for miles. Now they're at the Red, the Red Sea's right in front of them, and here's what happens. As Pharaoh approached, Israel looked up, and there were uh, the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there was no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? Uh, what have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say uh, to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than die in the desert. First thing that you need to be saved from is you need to be saved from yourself. There's just something about the way we process life. Uh, uh, <coughs> excuse me, I just nailed my spit. <coughs> Can you, Ethan, could you toss me my water? <laughs> Actually, I'm sorry. I usually have my water up here. I got to keep this thing watered. I, got, I, I do three services now. Got to drink more water. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. All right, so uh, you need to be safe from yourself. It's fascinating to me that they say, hey, we told you we'd rather stay in Egypt and die there than actually have freedom and go worship. That's what we said. What a delusional statement. This is so off. This is not even what they said. Here's, here's actually what they said in Exodus 4. Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites, and Aaron told them, this is Exodus 4, this is prior, actually what they did say. And the Lord said to Moses, he also performed signs before the people, and they believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshiped. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm. So, so uh, stop. So they bowed down to worship. I'm hopping around. Forgive me. So they actually said, whoa, we see the sign. We're down to worship this God. We're in. And then they hit their first rough patch. And they're like, what? Oh, I knew it. Kill me now. This is such a, they've just seen God do 10 miracles, 10 plagues against their enemy. They might be like, oh, there might be an 11th. Well, this is the rhythm of God. It's amazing that God can deliver for us 50 times. But on the 51st time, we respond that way all the time. I knew it. What was I thinking? It's amazing that God can do Red Sea miracles in our life, but then if he's a little late in one moment for our life that we think he is, we start to complain and act like God doesn't care anymore, and we wish we'd have never made the decision to risk it all for God. It's just, it's just so in our nature. And so 
Uh, we need to be safe from ourselves. Let me, let me put it this way. The Israelites needed a new friend. The Israelites needed a new friend to lead them and help them process. You ever have a bad friend? I call this person bad friend. Not even like goofy friend, just bad friend. Like a friend who has just bad ideas for your life. I'll never forget my bad friend, Mikey, shout out. We were about seven years old. Um, um, seven years old, I lived in Puyallup, Washington, and we lived by a swamp. And Mikey just had bad idea after bad idea. Bad idea, friend. So, so it was like sunny one day, and he had snorkel gear. He's like, let's go snorkeling. I was like, Mikey, we don't live by a beach. He's like, but we have a swamp. And so I remember like snorkeling for frogs in a swamp. And yeah, exactly. Yeah, ew, yeah. I remember my sister walking up. What are you doing, Tyler? I'm telling mom and dad. I'm like, we're snorkeling. You know, my mom and dad are like, Tyler, like that's, you can get rashes. Like you're not supposed to go in that thing. Like it's a swamp, you know? But Mikey had a bad idea, okay? Uh, Mikey had an idea one day. He literally just brought over batteries with hammers. And he's like, let's smash batteries. And I was like, okay. So I remember I was just smashing batteries and he smashed a battery and one of the battery acids got in his eye. He went to the ER and part of his eye got literally scarred for the rest of his life. Bad idea, Mikey. He's got bad ideas. One day we watched Mary Poppins and Mikey looked at me and goes, baby, you could fly with an umbrella. And I said, Mikey, I like the idea. Bad idea, Mikey. Let's do it. So I get on a picnic table. I remember jumping off the picnic table and guess what happened? I didn't fly. And Mikey goes, I know what it is. You're not high enough. You need to go on top of the house, Tyler. And so Mikey with bad idea, Mikey, I let it go to the top of the house. And I was like, time out, time out, time out, time out, time out, time out. Can we at least put a bed mattress down there in case it doesn't? Mikey's like, that's good idea. Okay, good idea, Tyler. Bad idea, Mikey, okay? <laughs> so I remember uh, putting the mattress down and I remember jumping off the house and nothing. Umbrella mushrooms, I fall, bust my ankle, I start crying. My dad comes out and, you know, a dad asks, you know, some question, like, what were you doing? I was like, I was trying to see if I could fly like, and he's like, well, like Superman? You want know, to fly like Batman? And I was like, fly like Mary Poppins. Yeah, very proud moment from a father, you know. Bad idea, Mikey, strikes again. So for the, a season of my life, Mikey was my friend. And I remember, you know, like when you started to grow up on your own, Mikey moved away. No, 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 I'm sorry. We moved away. We moved from Mount McKinley to Forest Green. We moved away from Mikey. I remember when I moved away from Mikey. There wasn't a day I was like, you know what I want to do today? Smash batteries. You know, I'm going to go snorkel. I was like, wow, that was my... Mikey was a bad influence on my life. I like to keep it cool. I'll go play tag, I'll play hoops. I'm not trying to snorkel in a swamp. I'm not trying to jump off a house with an umbrella. Mikey was a bad influence on my life. And the reality is, is before you are saved, there is a group of people around you. There is a group of ideology around you and they are all bad ideas. Go back to bondage. Go back to comfort. Go back, hey, hard day, just go back. Oh, I know people, say, God says to live this way, but it just, it's just too hard this way. Uh, look, now we're outnumbered. It doesn't look like it's actually possible. I might as well go back to bondage. The first thing that you need to be saved from yourself is your bad ideas. You got a lot of bad ideas that lead you to bondage. You got a lot of bad mindsets that are leading you back to Egypt instead of back to the promised land. Let me put it this way. Uh, Rocky's one of my favorite movies. I loved watching the movie Rocky when I was a little kid. And the, the first movie is one of the most famous movies, of course. And, and he's obsessed with going the distance with Apollo Creed. And she's like, why is this so important to you, Rocky? He's like, uh, the reason why, okay, I can't do it. Uh, get on the chopper. Hold on, I, got, I can't do it right now. That's more Arnold. What is like, on the, no, no, I can't do it. Anyways, I tried. Maybe 11 a.m. will be better. Um, so anyways, I wanted to do a slice of the one so bad for you. I'm, I apologize. So he goes, he goes, I got to do it. I got to, I got to make the distance. I got to, I got to show him. I got to show him. She's like, what, what rock? I got to show him. I'm not a bum. And the reality is, is one of the things that God is saving you from is not only your bad ideas. The second one is your inner bumness. 
He wants to save you from that voice in your, in your head and the voice that you've developed from the culture around you that says, if I don't do this, then I'm a bum. And I'm, you're enslaved to that thought. You're enslaved to that fight, that battle. I have to fight this fight or else I am a bum and I'm not anything that the world uh, would, would, would say I am. And, and if I could just let you know, one of the things that you need to be saved from is all those things that you've been trying to prove to people, it's gonna be an endless cycle of exhaustion of you trying to go the distance to show that you're not an inner bum. The reality is that Jesus doesn't want to make you just a son. He wants to make you an heir in royalty. The inner bumness is a real thing, but Jesus takes care of it. You can't take care of it. Can I get an amen? Let's keep going. So he wants to save you from yourself. Uh, next one. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. So everybody else is freaking out. Ah, ah, we're going to die. And Moses is like, time out. Don't be afraid. Stand firm. Something about having people around you when you're freaking out, just say, hey, chill out. Stand firm. Can, you be, can I just encourage, can we be a church that's more like Moses than the Israelites? In this season, can we tell people to relax? Hey, time out. Don't be afraid. Stand firm. The reason why is because we know something maybe some other people don't know. I know who's actually in charge. Uh, just maybe, just maybe we should chill out a little bit. Because um, the reality is, is that freedom to the modern person is an amazing idea. It's an amazing idea. Oh, I want to be free. I want to be free from anybody in charge of me. I want to, I want to work remotely. I want to work, uh, you know, uh, by myself. I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to be free. I want to be free. I want to be free to make my own decisions. I want to be free to say who I am, what I am. I just want to be free, 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 free. Being free is delusional. There's, there's no such thing as free. The Israelites are free of Pharaoh. They're not even, God's not even their master yet. And because they're free, what are they actually in bondage of? They're, they're, they are in bondage of fear and of dying. They're, they're in bondage of what I would say circumstance. Uh, a famous Greek writer, this is a universal truth, not only biblical truth, uh, is, let me make sure I got the quote for you right here. Um, no one is truly free. They are a slave to wealth, fortune, the law, or other people restraining them from acting according to their will. There's just something to be said about our culture where we're the most free culture we've ever been, but we're the most fearful and depressed culture we've ever had. Because when you become free to be your own God and free your own self, I gotta give you one more of yourselves. When you become free to your own self, you are held captive by whatever the day brings. You are held captive by anything that looks bad and it destroys you and creates fear. There's only one way to find freedom. It's not through an old God, it's not through yourself. It's actually God whose attribute is freedom. It is for freedom, he came to set you free. Come on. So Moses said, don't be afraid, stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, uh, you will never see again. Ooh, I love that. The Lord will fight for you. You will need only to be still. Everybody say still. still. That, how do we get saved right there? That is the picture of salvation. That is the picture of grace. Hey, you're gonna get saved. Here's your job. Stand still. Here's how you're gonna get saved today. Be still and know God's gonna fight your battle. You wanna see the maturity of a Christian as they get older and older? It's when they know how to stand still in the right moments. It's very easy for a Christian to uh, say yes to marching orders almost uh, than it is saying yes to stand still. In a moment of your life, prayer is you saying, I'm going to stand still and give it to God and let him fight my battle. There's something to be said about the revelation moment in your salvation that every other religion has you build a bridge, but Jesus says, I don't need to build a bridge, just stand still and watch me save your life. So I want to give you two more things that God wants to save you from, and I might give you some bonus stuff because I have about 12 pages today. You want some bonus material? You're welcome, 10 a.m. 10 a.m. is the bonus material service. We'll see if that shrinks it or grows it. I don't know. <laughs> Kidding. Um, so the first two, uh, two things you need to be saved from. Uh, you need to be saved from culture. You need to be saved from culture. 
Now, um, I'll let you know our, our staff meeting and our, our heart for our staff this year. So you need to be saved from yourself, you need to be saved from culture. This year for our staff, the word for our staff is grow. We want this to be the year of growth. Like, I want to grow more emotionally, spiritually than I ever have in my whole life. I also want to grow physically, to be honest. I'm turning 40, I'm about to start working out really big time. Like, this is going to rip eventually. I'm going to be like preaching, like, <laughs> I'm kidding. You didn't like that joke. We'll move on. Okay. My wife would have been really upset with that one. Okay. So it's a year of growth. I want, I want to grow. I want our team to grow. It's God's heart for us to grow. And as I was studying this, I've, I've been trying to find a word that would be the opposite word of growth. Because nothing pauses. Your life's not on pause. Marriage isn't on pause. Your, your dreams aren't on pause. There's no, there's no pauses in life. There is literally either growth or the opposite of growth. And the word that I found that I'm clinging to in this season that is the opposite of growth, and I'm using this word, it's called decreation. Now, the reason why I'm going to use the word decreation, I've got to, I've got to, I've got to do, let me teach for two minutes. I promise it'll be worth it. So decreation. So God creates the heavens, the earth, mankind, the garden, and it's perfect. It's beautiful. Oh, it's the best. Mankind sins. And because of sin, this thing gets introduced. It's called a desert. The desert is thorns and thistles. Look in creation. There is no desert. So even when God's people gets pulled out, now we have deserts. Do you ever wonder, like, God, did you, did you make this desert happen? Did you make, no, 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 no. Our sin caused the desert. Now God's going to use all of our deserts for his glory. Thank you, Jesus. But a desert happened. So we went from garden, fruit, water, rivers, everything, to a desert. And we basically got decreated. And then Jesus, being so kind, God promises Jesus that he would recreate the garden again in our soul, fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is not just fruit of the Spirit, it's a promise of a new garden in your soul. That the, that, the, that, the, that the desert would actually become a garden again. It would become the Garden of Eden. This is the picture of Scripture. And so uh, the reality is, is Isaiah 35, I wish I could read all the Scripture today. Isaiah 35 talks about the picture of salvation. is a desert becoming bountiful with rivers flowing through it and a bunch of stuff coming out of it, a bunch of fruit. Now in a desert, if you know this, desert botanical things don't grow and humans can't survive. And so the, the, the thing that God's trying to do for God's people is he's saying the place that is the Nile that has a worldly river that should make it bountiful is getting decreated and destroyed. So the place that should be fruitful is actually chaos and destruction. It's being decreated because they're rebellious and they're saying no to me. I'm going to take a desert that should not succeed, but I'm going to make it a beautiful place because there's going to be people who say yes to me. So growth, if I, if I could just, if I could unpack this way, culture will not have you grow. Culture will decreate you. You need to be saved from that. The kingdom will actually recreate you because you'll say yes to God. Can I double down on this now? Let's, let's keep going. When you see Pharaoh say no to God 10 times in a row, you see chaos and decreation happen. You see the opposite of order. You see the opposite of bountiful. You see death happen. Saying no to God is saying yes to decreation. You're like, well, I don't say no to God like that. Time out. When you say no to forgiveness, you are decreating what God's created in your soul. You are creating a desert and a blockage for where the river's supposed to flow. You are creating, uh, 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 if I can put this way, a spiritual dam and creating a desert and decreating what God wants to create. When you say no to the community of God, no to reading the word of God, no to obedience and living for God, and you actually say yes to the culture of the world, all you're doing is creating a desert again instead of actually allowing God to create the, the, the garden and the fruit, Isaiah 35, rivers flowing through your heart, a bountiful thing inside. God doesn't want to change the geographical desert. He wants to change this desert. And so he wants to save you from culture. 
Culture may have a lot of things on top, but the reality is it is just a fake desert that looks like it has stuff, but it has nothing. God wants to create a real thing in your heart, save you from culture. Does that make sense, amen? I like to think it did. When I was studying, that was my favorite part. Maybe because I got a lot of desert. And you're great and I'm not great. I don't know. Let's keep going. Uh, next one is he wants to save us from God. He wants to save us from God. Uh, real quick, if I could just uh, unpack this. Um, so you have Pharaoh, and the statement from Pharaoh is, serve me or die. And whew, I don't know. And God says, let my people go so they can worship me. And all of us in this room, we have what I call lowercase gods, especially in our culture. Um, and this is one way you can just tell that we have lowercase gods. What's the question people ask you most of the time? What do you do? Not who are you becoming, not your character, just what do you do? And what happens with that question of what do you do is it makes you feel like if you don't have a lowercase God to answer to those people, you don't have any worth to show them. And so if you don't have it, you feel like you're dying. Serve me or death. So, so what do you do? Oh, I, so my, my lowercase God would be like, ministry, I pastor a church. And so what can happen is, is that if ministry's not going well, I feel like I'm dying. If attendance is low, I feel like I'm dying. If that happens to me, I know right away, ministry has become an idol. Ministry become a lowercase God. One of my lowercase gods, if I could just be honest, is perfection. And the reality is, is that when I don't have the day I feel like I'm supposed to have spiritually, if I don't read the way I'm supposed to read, live the way I'm supposed to live, think the way I'm supposed to think, at the end of the day, I feel like I'm, I'm just, oh, I just feel like death. Because the reality is I've created a lowercase God of perfection. And God wants to save me from lowercase gods, save me from lowercase idols, so I can actually live a, a life where it doesn't matter on the quality of how I live my life, but the quality of who I worship. Let, let, let me put it this way. Can you, ima can you imagine, thank you for the claps. 9 a.m. gave me no claps. Um, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. They woke up earlier, okay? 9 a.m. was tough, you guys. In my staff meeting, I'm gonna share, 9 a.m. was a very tired service. So I was like, anybody out there, clear? You know, paddles. It's like, God, you're doing a lot in their heart. They're thinking. That's what's happening. They're thinking. Um, so, so anyways, um, you just got to you you picture this real quick, that when the Israelites are walking through the Red Sea and they're walking, you, you got you to go there with me for a second. You think they're like this, oh, yeah, we're going through the Red Sea. Our God is amazing. You know, they're looking at, they're looking at the Egyptians. What now? What now? Uh, uh, my God, my God. You think that's what they were doing? Maybe some of them. And then some of the rest of them maybe were like this. Okay, okay, so far so good. Yep, mm -hmm. I think I see a fish in the side of the lawn. Okay, okay. And then some of them, when they're walking through, are probably like this. We're gonna die, we're gonna die, we're gonna, oh my gosh, I'm gonna die, I'm gonna drown, da, da, as they walk through. Because the reality is, is that their salvation was not predicated on the quality of their faith, but the quality of who their object of their faith was on. There's just something, so many of us, if you add anything to salvation, it is subtraction. Right. If you add anything to the promises of God that you need, it is subtraction to your life. So you add any other lowercase God to the God of your life, it will subtract from your life. It will bring death instead of life. He wants to save you from those gods. And the only way that happens is if every day you wake up and you say, God, I've crossed over. You've saved my life. Now free me from the power of these things. Reveal it to me. And as that happens, we're going to move to the last point. We'll be done is this last thing, so you have um, justification we talked about, sanctification, I'm gonna touch a little bit on glorification, and then glorification is you actually becoming what Jesus looks like, and people just seeing something different, you start to become more like Mark Barcelon. Does that sound good? <laughs> Shout out, Mark, come on. 
I hope that's okay, Mark. I just, I just love you. you know, it is what it is. Uh, so the last one is, uh, I, need a God, uh, I need a God who will test me. And it's interesting is where I need a God to test me for glorification, but the reality is if you want to test anything that has weight, anything that's worth value, it has to go through a fire to get tested. And we understand tests. Well, all of us in the room, y'all, y'all understand tests. Like, we understand that we want our pilot to be tested. You don't want to be like, right, it's your pilot today. It's my first time ever flying. Wish me luck. All righty, here we're now. I wouldn't want that. I'd be like, hello, everybody. I've been flying for 20 years. You're in good hands today. We're going to have smooth guys. Sit back, relax, have a good time. I'm like, ah, you know. Hey, everybody, it's a brand new plane. We've never tested it. We have no idea if the wings will stay on. Uh, Wish us luck. It's supposed to be fast, though. Bye. No! (laughs) Test the wings! Test it! Like, we understand the importance of testing things that our, our life is in the hands of. You would think that if we're going to live our life that you'd want things that you've put stock into to actually pass the test even in your own life. The career's not gonna pass the test, by the way. Let me, let me, put, let me put it this way. Um, we understand tests in this sense, that uh, you, get, you take a test to get into college, and you gotta keep passing the test, or else you get flunked out of college. It's a great time. Test after test after test. So when you hear the Bible, God wants to test you. It's not he wants to test you to flunk you out. You gotta test to get in. It's actually, he wants to test you so you can see the things that you should never have been carried with you in the first place. You don't get the failing grade. The things that you've been carrying get the failing grade. And so you go into the fire of life and you realize, job, you're fired. You don't pass the test. Wow, performance, you're fired. You didn't pass the test. As you go through the fire of the desert, you realize, what was I, why, why did I put so much stock in this? And the reality is, is in Exodus 16, if I could read it to you, but I, 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 I got to go to 11 a.m. service, so read it when you get home. But it's the Israelites, um, the Israelites are complaining. They're like, we want food. We're starving. Send us back again. We, I wish we would have died in Egypt. There's no food out here. Over and over again, they're complaining. They're grumbling, blah, 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 complaining and grumble. And God's like, man, I hope you can eventually know that food will burn up in the test. Because you want food, but really you don't need food. You need me. And he's trying to create in the test the observation that they wouldn't come to him for their needs, but they would come to him because he's all they need. And this is really what tests do in our soul, that we finally realize, like, you're all I need. Let me, put, let me, let me give you a, a, a picture of geographics. It's like a river. We ask for fish, and you're just like, don't ask for fish. Ask for the river. We ask to drink. Give me a drink. Don't ask for a drink. Ask for the river. We ask for a beautiful life, and we don't think we just build a house. No, ask for a river. The river is the source of all of it. And the Israelites, if you read the story of Exodus, they keep on asking for these things. And Jesus is like, I got to get you to a place where you ask for the thing. And that's me, living water. And so if I could just unpack real quick. Uh, this new timer thing is kind of stressful. <laughs> all right. <laughs> doing good, though. I'm doing good. Okay. Deuteronomy 8. Get past that. Okay. Uh, I'm going to give it to you quick. I'm going to give it quick. So the three things that Jesus wants to bring in the test to kind of burn off you is one is he wants to burn off the shallowness of your life. Just the, the things that, are, are, that should fail right away. What I mean by that is everybody in this room, you know people or you might be a person, you lived a charm life. Just a charm life. Like life was easy in a sense. You had good parents. You had uh, money. Uh, like you never really got like hurt that bad in life. You went to a good school. You ma- married a great girl. You got kids. But eventually when you get to maybe 30 or 40, you're, that charmness, something's going to happen to where like you question everything. That's why they call it midlife crisis. And the thing that Jesus wants to do is glorification. The word glory means weight. He wants to take a shallow Christian, a shallow person, and give them the depth of heaven. 
And you can tell when somebody is still pretty shallow by how they grumble. The Israelites were very shallow, grumbling about food, grumbling about pots of stew, grumbling about this and that. And he said, now I gotta get this grumbling out of you and I want you to process heavenly things. And so that one of the things that as God tests you and develops you in the Exodus, you'll see this, he wants it, this glorification, is the more and more you become more like Jesus, you care about the right things. And, and you smile about the right things. And, and you care, if I'm being honest, people become one of the most important things to you because the most important thing is God. The right things have weight in your life. The right priorities have weight in your life. He starts to develop the shallowness out of you and he starts to give you the weight of heaven and you start to care about heaven on earth. And this changes you. It burns off the earth. Does that sound good? Second thing is he tries to develop a daily need for God, daily need for God. So as you go through this testing, the thing that you realize is that the days that you don't have God and you go through the fire, they're the worst days. When you go through the fire and you're being tested, it's just, oh, it's so painful. And, and a lot of us would like this. God, okay, I want my promise. And God just go, go down the street, take a right, you're good. But that's not how this works. Jesus goes, all right, you, you want the promise. And he says to them in, in Exodus six, uh, 16, go pick up the food daily, daily, daily. Why didn't he just give it to them all in one batch? Because the reality is God's trying to create a daily dependence that they needed to go get the word every day in their life and that he needs to be a part of their life every day to, for dependence. Not just one day a week. You get it on weekly, get it on monthly. He said, I'm gonna give it to you daily. I'm gonna give you this manna daily, which is the word of God. I'm gonna give you myself daily. And so a lot of us are driving our life and just going like this. All right, I'm here on Sunday. Tell me how I have my promise. Just go there. All right, peace, I'm good. Imagine driving and going, okay, I know that my promise is out there and Jesus comes, you're talking to Jesus in your car. We're gonna use a car illustration for this one. Hey, Jesus, uh, uh, I want a promise. Okay, you're gonna take a left, take a right, take a left, take a right. You're gonna take another left, and you're gonna be betrayed. You're gonna bust a U-turn, take a right again, take a left, take a right, take a left, take a right, take a right, 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 left, 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 right, right, left. You good? You'd be like, no, get in the car. And you know what? And, not, and then even when there's somebody's like the passenger, they're like, oh, you missed the turn. Oh, I'm so sorry. They'd be like, will you drive the car? And I'll just be the passenger, and you can take me where I'm supposed to go. That's what he's trying to do in Exodus. He's trying to have them take their hands off the steering wheel of their life and say, I don't, I, I don't even know why I thought I could do this, uh, this thing once a week with you, God. I need you to have the steering wheel every day. Yeah. Last thing that God wants to develop in the test. So he wants to develop the shallowness out of you. He wants to test that out of you. He wants to test, uh, he wants to develop a daily need for him. He wants that to become something that's in you. These are all the things that Dad's trying to do. And the last one is he wants you to develop a need for his community. It's interesting uh, when you see this in Exodus 16. This is all the sanctification pictures. That, and you'll see this in Ephesians. You want the fullness of God without the community of God. But you'll see this. He goes, okay, I want you guys to go out, collect the manna for six days. And you get double the amount on the sixth day. Seventh day, don't do anything. Of course, they're just beating throughout. And God's just so committed over and over again. We got really committed to God, by the way. He's so committed to you. And so uh, he says, uh, once you bring it back, there's like this weird amount. It's like ore or whatever it is. I don't know how much that is in manna, but every person gets this certain amount. So they get this certain amount, they get it and they, get, they pass it out. But they say, you go gather it and you bring it back and then disperse it among the people. And, and so everybody gets the same amount of manna. And so you're, you start pecking like, what? well, I thought if, you, if I just gather what I get, then I just get what I get. And God's like, that's not my instructions because reality is, is some of you have bigger hands, some of you have smaller hands. Some of you are really young. Some of you are a little bit older and can't gather as much. Some of you are gonna be sick and tired that day. Some of you won't have it in you. And so people will gather and then they'll bring it back and you're gonna have the manna because not because you had the joy for the day, I had enough joy for you also that day. You may not have hope for the day, but I gathered some hope that day and I'm gonna give you hope that day. You may not have the truth that you need for that day, but I was reading the Bible and when you were sharing your hard day with me, I gotta share truth with you because I gathered some manna for you to have that day. And so the, the, the reality is, is in the sanctification process, Jesus is saying, hey, I need you to see the need for people. 
that you will not be able to have all the man of heaven on your own. It's just not going to happen. I, I, I finished with a Frankenstein uh, story in last service, and I'm going to do it anyways. Maybe I'll be late. But 10 a.m., you're that important to me. I'm going to drink water. Yeah. I'm, just, I'm being silly. Okay. Um, Frankenstein, the movie, second movie, um, theologian gave me this. I thought it was a powerful picture of just what community does for us. Is Frankenstein, the second movie, has no friends. Blind guy's praying for a friend in the, the second movie. Frankenstein comes in, and he... Uh, sits down, and the guy's blind, so he doesn't see his Frankenstein. He starts giving him food. They start hanging out. And for the first time, and the only time in the movie, you see Frankenstein smiling, laughing, using words, actually. He starts to become very human. He starts to be, be, get, get, he starts to get recreated. And then hunters come. It's very sad. Kills his friend. And, of course, Frankenstein reverts and goes back to being a monster because he loses his friend. And the theologian says, this really is the picture of community that when we isolate ourselves, and, and you'll see this, just Google, is loneliness bad for you? Loneliness will have you go down all the worst trails. Loneliness is bad for your health. Literally they say, it's, uh, it's, worse, it's even worse than smoking 15 cigarettes a day. It ups your heart attack rate up 30% of a chance of a heart attack when you do not have friends in your life. And what I'm trying to tell you is when you get in the community of God, the promise is, is you're gonna smile more than you did without him. When you get in the community of God, you're gonna be healthier than you were without him. When you community of God, you actually start to speak a language you never used to speak before because you're becoming more like your savior. It's called glorification. You, we're all Frankensteins until we find Jesus. We're all dead. If I'm going this way, I'm gonna say monsters to an extent. Sin is in charge of us. We only care about ourselves. We don't care about other people. And then we find Jesus and we become everything we're supposed to be. Man, you need the community of God. Will you bow your heads with me? Almost your first time or second time at church, but just want to give anybody an opportunity today to say yes to heaven, no to hell. Yes to blessing, no to cursing. I want to say yes to salvation today. If you're in there online, I want to give you an opportunity to say yes to Jesus. I want to say yes to salvation with every head bowed and eye closed. The way we do it in person is very simple, just like walking the Red Sea. Some of you are going to raise your hand boldly. Some of you are going to raise it somewhat timidly. It's not about your faith. It's about the object of your faith. His name is Jesus. If you want to say yes to Jesus today in the chat, say yes. Email us, say yes. We want to celebrate with you. But if you're in person, on the count of three, you want to say yes to Jesus, raise it up. One, two, three, you want to say yes to salvation. I see you. God bless you. That's a great decision. Come on now. Every service we've been having people saying yes to Jesus. It's a great thing. Mission Church, I love you. Uh, next week, I'll see you. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to hand it off to Mike T. God, we thank you for what you're doing at Mission Church. Thank you for the 10 a.m. service. Uh, Lord, you're doing a new thing. Oh, we love you. We love you. Bless this church. Use us this week. And everybody said? Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.